We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. Here from the world of racing, Monday to Thursday morning on SEN Track. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Well, all the big opinions have been made by all the big names after the round of footy, so we'll get swiping. Are you swiping left or swiping right? Jordan's going to come in and set the Tinder table. Yes, indeed. Wonderful to have you on board. The Sporting Capital, Sam Hargraves, one 736 736 If you'd like to get into some swiping, Footy Tinder on a Tuesday night is back where we take the biggest opinions that have been made by the biggest names in the game. You swipe left if you agree, you swipe right. You swipe left if you disagree. So it's been a long time since I've been on. That will make the beautiful Evie very happy that I forgot which way you swipe. <laughs> it was just another, just a sense of security, just another little... Uh, swipe left if you disagree, swipe right if you agree, and you get one super like as well. Any more than that, you have to start paying. As I always say, if you're paying for Tinder, something ain't right. Um, Jordan Canellis, hello, mate. Hello. This is my playground, isn't it? <laughs> is this, uh, are, you a, <laughs> are you a Tinder operator? Uh, hinge. Are you a Hinge guy? Yeah. What's the difference between that one again? Uh, hinge is probably more genuine, I think. You just oh. get more like real people. Tinder's full of Instagram models. And, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're lucky there, good on you. But yeah, for well, the rest of us uh, schmoes. Evie and I met on Bumble. We feel like that was a, a place that was more genuine and um, and and wholesome. Yeah. yeah. Intentions were... Um, and, and maybe less... Um, what are the... Uh, maybe less scammers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah Tinder's full of just robots and yeah. and fake accounts that are trying to swindle you for money. Uh, all yeah. right, let's get into some footy Tinder. Some lighthearted chit chat that first hour, wasn't oh, it? Yeah, it's uh, it, look, it's it's serious stuff. It's it's it shows no signs of going anywhere. Um, people with, I, I, yeah, I don't think anyone of the people that we've been speaking about has bad intentions. It's just got mm. to a point where. It almost seems to be beyond the ability to be reconciled, but you hope that it can be. Um, and I think it's it's why it's important to keep an, an open mind as you possibly can. Yeah. Uh, but it's difficult terrain, and they're difficult it's, conversations to have. It's tricky because, and I'll I'll keep this very brief. It's tricky because they're clearly at loggerheads. Yeah. There's a difference of opinions. Mm. Whether they'll finally agree to disagree, whether that's even a possibility or not yep. because of the legal proceedings and everything that's happening yep. behind the scenes. What that's more just, could we have done? Yeah. What more do you want? And, well, and it's on just, the it's other side of things, you, you don't, you know, still, someone's still feeling um, disenfranchised, not listened to, unheard, disrespected. So it's, yeah, it's, um, and there's some stuff that they actually do agree on. And then, yeah. so, it, so it is incredibly difficult. Mm. On something a little bit lighter, uh-huh. um, 
where we take the big opinions that are being given by the biggest names in the game and get swiping. Now, you're responsible for, for setting the table here. So yeah, uh, where are we starting? Uh, let's start with, uh, I found this interesting. This was the first thing that kind of piqued my interest last night when going back through the Monday shows is Caroline Wilson last night on Footy Classified speaking about Dustin Martin not talking to the media on his, uh, on his return on Saturday. I find Australian rules footy an anathema just generally that players won't speak to the media in any situation. I've never seen anything like it anywhere in the world. So I get that. But I think it's a bit rich to put the pressure on a player who's come back from six or seven weeks personal leave, grieving the death of a relative and suffering from certainly some form of emotional crisis that he felt so unhappy he couldn't be at the footy club, even if he was out doing other things, to expect him to give a couple of Dorothy Dixes. Me, as a viewer... I, don't, I want to see two don't argues. I don't want to see two Dorothy Dixes. As... You're not objective about Richmond. No, no, you never no, have been and you never will be. That, that, that's a ridiculous statement. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm swapping right on that. I don't know what we would have got out of Dusty speaking to the media. I don't think he really should have been made to. Mm. I think it was just wonderful to have him back. I think let's enjoy that particular aspect. I think the two goals gave us more and gave the Richmond faithful more than any very, very brief, no matter how easy the questions were, the question, the answers we know would have been incredibly brief. And this is not a crack at Dusty, given absolutely no insight at all to anything <laughs> that he was actually experiencing on feeling. He would have said, Team, boys have been great, the club's been great, fans have been great, it's been a really tough time. Um, I'm just glad to be back out there. Yeah, we know. So specific to this moment, we know what Dusty is like in front of the media. He's not, he's not particularly sort of, uh, you know, he doesn't favourite the media in any way. Yeah, you know, he's, he's a shy guy. It's, that's fine. Well, I don't like that he doesn't do media, and I don't like that there's. I actually don't like that the in part of the collective bargaining agreement it has that there's a minimum, um, or they they don't have to do any more than a set amount of media appearances. A year, and that clubs have been able to wrangle what actually and 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 man, massage exactly what does constitute a media appearance because we don't ever hear from him. But in this situation, I had no expectation. I don't think it was fair to put an expectation on him to talk after that, given what he has experienced—a really traumatic event. He's still obviously grieving. I, I didn't think that he should have been made to talk there. I get. I, I think he should be every other time. I don't yeah. like that he doesn't. But in this situation, I, I agree. I'm okay with it. I agree with Caro. I swipe right with Caro for a, the similar but different reasons. I just don't. I'm not particularly interested about hearing players speak on game day. Full stop. Aren't you? I don't really care. I'm there to watch. Uh, maybe at the end of the game, and I know he, you know the op the option was there for him to be uh, spoken to at the end of the game. I'm also taking this off to a tangent a little bit about half time interviews and quarter time interviews, which I really don't care about at all. But even post game, like it doesn't really matter. I, I'm there if I'm watching the game, if I'm watching the game at home, or if I'm there at the ground or whatever other circumstance. I'm there to watch Dustin Martin play football. I'm not there to watch a game of football and then wait on tenterhooks for him to speak at the end of the game. That's not the purpose of of why I go to the football on a Saturday afternoon or why I watch it on TV. I'm not there to, to hear what Dusty has to say at the end of it all. And and in addition to that, he's just, you know, suffered personal tragedy as well. So, yeah. you know, that's not the purpose of why I watch football. It's not the reason why football is broadcast on TV at all. 
I'm a bit or different. I, I love what the NFL and the NBA do where you can just walk in after the game and it is open locker room and you can just wander up and say, hey, what about this? And they go, yeah, this, this, this. And then it's pretty much done and dusted. My belief, my view on this is that if you are as open as you can possibly be, it's sort of like we've had a couple of requests into the AFL over the last couple of weeks and we've been knocked back for different reasons, but essentially we've been knocked back when we've just been trying to get a clarification on something, help enlighten some people on why certain things, some certain things happen, whether it be how the fixture's done or the state of the AFLW season. And I'm not having a crack, but if you are as open as you can possibly be all the time, people will often just stop asking because they're like, we have everything we need. And then they leave you alone for a while. But if it's constantly no, and you're constantly having to wrangle and negotiate and bargain, that's when the phone keeps ringing because people aren't getting questions, whether it be questions answered or insights that they reveal. So in the NBA and the NFL, they just, just come in, in, come on in, ask, Hey, you missed a goal. What was, how'd you feel? Yeah. I wish I had got that. We probably would have won. Done. And then I, you've got what you need. I do like that about American sport. I, I like watching NFL and I've been watching a bit of the playoffs in the NBA the last few weeks. But that's a different culture as well. I don't think Australians, full stop, sort of. Yeah, but if you want fit into the that. pay rise that the players are asking for, and they're going to want, and I think deserve, so I'm all for you to get as much money as you can because your career average lifespan is about five years. Mm-hmm. All for it. Make what you can, but not at the expense of to keep the game whole in other places. But if you want that money, you got to give something for it. We, we, we you got to let people in. What's next? So should that be should that be an effect of the pay rise? Is this more media appearances? I think that'll be condition. I think that'll be what what broadcasters say. Well, if you want more from us, we want more from you. And seventy five to eighty percent of what the broadcasters pay goes directly to the players. Gary Lyon on breakfast yesterday said that Melbourne's biggest challenge this season will be the old dark navy blues. I cannot wait for Carlton to play Melbourne. Because I think then this Melbourne defence, particularly the key posts, will get their sternest test. Mm, aerially. It doesn't happen. Do you know? Do you realise this? It does not happen until round 21. Really? The first time that Carlton and Melbourne will play is round 21. Do you, do you see Carlton as a, as a, top, a top eight lock? Are they definitely going to play finals off what you've seen? Yeah. Well, in my opinion, I think they present an enormous challenge at their, at their very best. I think they present an enormous challenge because of what are the key att- elements? They are so well served in all over the ground. So I'm going to swipe. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? I know where will, I'm swiping. Will, Carl- will Carlton be Melbourne's sternest challenge? I thought St Kilda could have done a lot better. Two weeks ago, St Kilda were a top four scoring side, top three scoring side. Last couple of weeks, they've really fallen away, which has me thinking that teams have figured them out defensively again, which happened after that finals in uh, finals appearance in 2020. Will that be their sternest challenge? No. I still think Brisbane. I still think Brisbane's best of all the clubs, their best is the only... I think that their best is 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 the... By a fair way, their best is is closest to being able to knock off Melbourne at their best. At Melbourne's best, I don't know who if anyone can knock them off, but Brisbane's best, I think, comes closer than any other teams. Because because I'm a bit like Matty Lloyd, I've, got, I've still got a couple of little jury jurors that are not reaching consensus with Carlton, and it's because can I can I play the audio I was going to play? I'm glad you brought this up. Mm-hmm. 
I was running some numbers on just purely attack and defence, where you rank. So, for example, Brisbane ranked number one for attack and three for defence. So it's looking really good for them. Uh, yeah, Geelong surprised me. Uh, they're ranked third for attack and fifth for defence. So they, okay. even though so their ladder position right. is fifth, looks like they might be thereabouts. Uh, Melbourne are two for defence, six for attack. Fremantle are one for defence, five for attack. But the Blues are seventh for attack and ninth for defence. Yeah, that's they're not the numbers of a top four no, side. No. So I agree with that because that's something that I've spoken about on this show a fair bit about that grand final DNA and where you need to rank statistically over history that tells us that to win a grand final, you've got to be top four offense, top four defense. And there are some outliers like Richmond in 2017 were eighth for offense, but they were third for defense. And in that time too, they were number one for intercepts and they were number one for tackles inside Ford 50. So even though they weren't scoring as, as in the top four, they just played the entire game in their front half. So that was the difference there. So if you look back over, go back 15, 20 years, majority of those teams have been top four defense, top four offense. So I'm with, I'm swapping left with all due respect to Gaz, um, because I agree with Lloydie on this one. Yeah, I'm kind of still hov- some work to do. I'm kind of hovering in the middle. I think Carlton, I think their, their scoring is definitely up there. So they're seventh off the back of Lloydie's stats. They are seventh for attack. They average 90.6, uh, points four per game, which is, they're one of, uh, so they are the last team to be above 90, but still to be above 90. And they've scored a hundred points, I think four times this season. They've scored 90 points, I think two other times. And then they've had one outlier where they scored 74 against Hawthorne in a one point win, but they've been other, other, otherwise they've been a high scoring team. The percentage is a, and I think Nathan Buckley brought they've this up. They've got the lowest um, percentage in the top eight. They've got the lowest. It's at 111 off the top yeah, of my head. And Nathan Buckley brought this up a couple of weeks ago on, on his uh, buck stops here, his top five, is that percentage mm. matters. And so yeah. attack's not the problem. Defense is the problem for the Blues. And they're still they're learning winning, that. They're, they're still learning that. Absolutely. They're winning games, which is yeah. great. And they can still tighten up at the back half. I think the thing that might hold Carlton in good stead against Melbourne is just the the youthful naivety. They'll just... They'll have fearlessness, I think, against Melbourne. I don't think they'll really – they'll know what they're coming up against, but the group still is just – they're on a high at the moment. They're playing great football. It's football they haven't played in a long time, and that'll just yeah. – uh, there'll be a, an element of that when they play Melbourne way down the track in the season. And maybe the the length of the season and the fact that there's still 10 rounds between then and now. You've got, got to get Mark Pitnett back. Yeah. So they're not, they're not doing it with Silvani and, and, and with all due respect because I think De Koning's going to be a player. But you're not beating Max Gorn and Luke Jackson with that combo. Mm. So, yeah. and the other thing that you want to make sure is, and and because what they need is just another, just one more element up forward where I think that you need to be able to make sure that May and Lever can't just do as they please. They, there has to be matchups for them to be accountable. We're at their strength. You'd think it's either Petty or Tomlinson that plays a designated driver role. Mm. You play into their hands if you can't keep those three accountable. So Kilda tried to go around them, which you can't do. Um, and the midfield battle will be great. Like, that'll be just so yeah. much fun to watch. Um, Cripps will be relishing. He he will have that circled because it's Oliver and Petrarca that we now put at the moment as the, you know, are they the two best midfielders in the game um, or two out of the three, whatever you want, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. But Cripps will have that circled. Um, I just think that there's... They've still probably got enough Melbourne defensively that can cover Mackay 
and Kurnow, who I think are, you know, the envy of a lot of teams at the moment. That's why I like Brisbane, because at full strength, with Hipwood, McStay, and Danaher, there's three talls you've got to worry about. And then the smalls at ground level for Brisbane are much, much more lethal than what Carlton's are. So when you look at Cameron, Bailey, um, Rayner will float through there as well. If if, if Pitternet comes back and his current layoff is still six to ten weeks, so that's that puts him out to, at at max. If this if the 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 layoff duration is accurate, round eighteen he comes back, so he'll be back for round twenty one when they face each other. Pitternet comes back in, that allows Tom DeConing to play in the forward line. That gives you three talls, and DeConing's a good marking option. His set shot scoring might need a bit of improving, but he's a marking option, and that's <clears throat> that's pardon me, that's going to be another tall option that the D's will have to try and cover for. So that actually stretches Melbourne's defence. So you're right on multiple aspects is Pitternet coming back is not only for the ruck battle against Gorn and Jackson, but it also flows on into the forward line because DeConing can then be, be the third tall. And that's a huge third tall to have up there alongside Mackay and Kerno, physically speaking. Hey, let's get a break away. We'll come back and keep doing some swiping. Footy Tinder, Sporting Capital, SEN. There's some good texts coming through as well. Keep them coming through. 0433981116. You can swipe along via text or 1300 uh, We're doing some Footy Tinder stuff on a Tuesday night. Uh, some of the biggest statements have been made by the biggest names in the game. We swipe left if we disagree. We swipe right if we agree. You get a super like as well, which I haven't used my super like just yet. Jordan Canellis is here to set the Tinder table. Uh, where are we going next, please, JK? Uh, let's go off the back of uh, of Carlton. Uh, did you want to bring up David King? Yeah, okay. Is it the one I think it is? I think it is. Okay, let's have a listen. I, I'm, I'm not going to judge teams against Melbourne. I, I think it's incredibly unfair. The, the one thing we've got to do with Melbourne is is just when you watch the game, just watch how quickly they flick the switch from attack to defence. They they sprint one way and then they sprint another. There's no lag. Is David King saying Melbourne is so good that we we just disregard any kind of like form or analysis around yeah, sides? Well, that's confusing to me because how do we know where a team's at? Yeah, they're the yardstick. Other than when, yeah, if you're you, know, if you judge if the you wanna, whole competition off them. So I'm swapping left on that. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be the best, don't you have to beat the best? Exactly. Oh, don't don't we all remember 2001? I think it was round 10 that Brisbane Lions. Did a number on Essendon. Um, it was that in was that the it, moment. That was that was the moment where they knew where they fully believed. If you ask any Brisbane player, that was the moment they believed mm. that they could take the title off Essendon. That was when they bought into everything Lee Matthews was saying. Lee Matthews, he he puts his hand and says, "I want the best coach," but I was able to motivate and I was able to get every player to do one thing: know your role, accept your role, play your role. I heard Simon Black tell it a, a hundred times: know your role, accept your role, play your role, which is sounds simple, but again, that's what Melbourne does better than any other team in the competition. And you've heard, you know, people bring up whether it be Charlie Spargo or Tom Sparrow or some of these, the, the lesser light players, but who walk 10 feet tall because they know that what is valued about them is that they do that. So, you know, people talk about what Craig McRae was uh, and then folks like Marcus Ashcroft and Sean Hardy won a Norm Smith medal and all these guys. So, I mean, there's a line out of a movie, A Knight's Tale. Do you remember this? You have been weighed, you have been measured. And you have been found wanting. That's what St Kilda were. Weighed, measured, found wanting. Back to the drawing board you go. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, maybe I'm not understanding Kingy, and I love Kingy. But yes, don't. isn't that exactly what we do? Yeah, They're what? the reigning premiers. They're undefeated. Whoever's going to knock them off uh, the, the top of the table, 
we need to see how they actually go against them. I might hold him to account just off there because I panel his show on a Friday morning. So if, Fre- <laughs> if Fremantle end up beating Melbourne later down the, the track this season, well then you know does it does it matter according to him? Yeah, I think Melbourne's the Melbourne's the uh, the yardstick, and you measure yourself against the D's. How far off you are from Melbourne, uh, and there might be some anomalies in there. So you know Hawthorne only got within ten points, but Hawthorne's not a ten point lesser team than Melbourne. They're they're further down the ladder than that. So anomalies exist, but. Um, but you know, if you get close to Melbourne and you are a side who, or if you beat Melbourne, you're one of the few teams who might get that honor this season at some point, who knows, but that's a good showing of how far or how close you are to being a contender. Uh, there's a couple of people saying you're asking who can beat Melbourne. Frio says hi. Round 11 Saturday evening at the MCG is set to be a beauty. Um, flag mantle is the hashtag from Gus in Perth. So again, Round 11, the, the reason close. why my jury's out on Fremantle is have we seen this movie before? Great defence, top four defence, yet they're eighth for goals and mm. eighth for points four. And if you're going to beat Melbourne, you've got to be able to outscore Melbourne. Mm. And I know Melbourne aren't in peak scoring position this year, but last year, before Ben Brown came back, they were eighth for scoring. Ben Brown comes back. They finish the year in the regular season fourth for scoring. They go on to win the flag. So they had top four offence, top four defence. Who the Fremantle will have to come back there? Nat Fife, but what that does to the balance yeah. of the team is going to be fascinating Yeah, as well. But if Fremantle can get themselves up, then I'll, I'll say, yep, they're a genuine threat to Melbourne. But at the moment, until they increase their scoring, I, I'm not as convinced as others. I love Fremantle, and I've been big on them for a little while. I've been waiting for this little boom here, but I think Brisbane's their biggest contender, Melbourne. There's some great texts coming through about footy Tinder. I'm going to get to those on the other side of this. And Sam Duncan, our footy media expert, uh, we'll run a couple of these things past him. That's coming up next on the Sporting Capital. Uh, some great texts coming through um, in terms of footy Tinder. Let me just start going through a few of these. David in Fairfield, thanks for your text earlier. Uh, my analogy about uh, parenting, about wanting to express yourself uh, on the field when you haven't done the non-negotiables first, like when you don't want to go to the party on a weekend, but you haven't cleaned your room. Uh, so appreciate that, Dave. Thank you very much. I won't give out parenting advice weekly since I'm not yet a parent and uh, really have no idea what I'm talking about in that space. Uh, Duna says, "Swipe right with Jordan too. Absolutely no interest in players talking cliches and showing nothing. Game is my interest. That's from Duna, uh, who also says that he and his partner met on Bumble uh, two and a half years and still hanging in there. Nicely done, man. Uh, nicely done. He's a very good man, Duna. Uh, hang on. Do you want access to all the players? Ask any questions. But on the flip side, they can't handle being backed into a corner because of the generation and being offended. I believe this generation can't handle the media. That's from Steve from Niora. Well, that's... I don't necessarily agree with that, Steve. I, th- I think that they can, and I think that's all part of what training um, they get to what they do and more exposure to it. I mean, I think I've, I've been around this for long enough to have seen some examples of where um, it, this gets done really well in relation to how clubs set up their relationship with the players and the media, and I've also seen some examples of where it doesn't get set up really well. And if you ever have a player manager that, that, that points to the media as being the enemy, all the bad guys are here when you're at a press conference, even making jokes about it. Whereas if you have others, and I remember uh, Josie Fielding at the Brisbane Lions would bring the players in and introduce them to everybody, shake hands. This is such and such. This is such and such. The players up there, you would bump into them in public and they'd stop and have a chat. And, and that's all about, and the good clubs do it. And most clubs are fantastic at it, that they do set up good relationships between cl- uh, the, the players and the media. If you don't make them out to be the enemy, they build that trust. So I think they can absolutely handle it. I think you're underselling them there. Um, 
as a fan, I'm getting sick of the media constantly telling us how they pay for the sport. So that means players should do whatever the media want. Yes, to an extent, but they're not dancing monkeys. There are a lot of other areas of sponsorship which also contribute to the players' salaries. Um, no, I don't think we, the media should get whatever it wants, but there aren't a lot of others. The, the bulk of the players' pay comes from the broadcast rights. I think it's about 80%, maybe 75 to 80 So um, that part, slightly incorrect. But I don't think that they should, that they should have to do whatever we want, but I think that there needs to be an increase in the access um, that, that the media do get and that the fans by and large, and I know you're not one of those fans, but the fans by and large tell us that they want. They want to know the players more they, because that then gives them a, a connection to them. It's not just the club that they connect with, but also the players and their personalities and their stories uh, and who they are. And I think that is only a good thing when you know and you, you feel like you know the players more. That was an issue that the Australian cricket team went through. Fans just say, we don't, don't know who you are. We, we, you're in such an enclosed bubble. And they've gone, they've taken big steps to address that uh, as well. One man who knows all about that. So it's a very good text. Thank you to who sent that through because it's a nice way to uh, introduce uh, our football and our sport media expert. Sam Duncan is the course leader of sports degree at Holmes Glen. Uh, upskill your career. Learn more. Do more uh, at Holmes Glen. Uh, Sam's been good enough to jump on for his weekly segment again. Hello, mate. G'day, Sam. Great to be with you. Hey, um, I want to ask you, we'll get to media access in just a moment, but there's a couple of things, and I know you might have done this last week, but I was away, and I was really keen to speak to you about the AFL at the moment when they're deciding not to have Thursday night footy. Invariably, like last week, we get... um, at least three occasions or two, and sometimes it's just the one. But every round we seem to have games that cross over and are being played at the same time. So I I was really curious to see what effect that has on the ratings and whether from your point of view that's a smart strategy um, or whether you are indeed cannibalising your own product and competing against yourself when you've got so many other competing factors to get people's eyes and get people's attention. Yeah, listen, it's it's a really interesting one because we haven't really seen the doubleheader Friday night uh, before. I do remember it happening years and years ago, but not for many years. Uh, and it's curious to know exactly why the AFL have gone down that particular path. I mean, it happened last weekend. It's going to happen again in about a month. And it happened in round three, I think, when um, Fox Footy had the showdown on the same night that Essendon was playing against Melbourne. And it was really interesting because on that night, Fox Footy could make claims that they had Adelaide. They had the Adelaide market exclusively to themselves. Uh, So they had a big market Um, and a big game. And not only that, they had it in a high-demand time slot. So they could say, look, you were going to show this game Saturday night when there would have been overlap, or you were going to show it on Sunday afternoon when there would have been overlap. If there's going to be overlap, we'd like it in a high-demand time slot where people are sitting down uh, and watching numbers in their tens or hundreds of thousands. So that could have worked for Fox footy where they said, we'd like to make, you know, the most of the overlap and play it in prime time. It it didn't result in overwhelming figures for them. About 107,000 people tuned into Fox footy that night, plus your KO audience, which probably would have been another 100,000. But many, many more were watching the Essendon Melbourne game. In fact, on Fox footy, um, 191,000 were watching that and another 540,000 on seven. And then you can add your, your KO 
streamers as well, and you've got a pretty good uh, and decent figure. So it is interesting. It's certainly cannibalising. Mm. Every overlap game cannibalises another. Um, it's been happening forever in a day in the AFL. Um, I think going forward, we're going to see less of it because as the uh, broadcasters invest more and more in the game, they're going to want a bigger bang for their buck and, and that means bigger audiences and that means giving as many games as possible their own time slot. Yeah, some people often point out that the NFL runs games like that every week, but when you crunch the numbers on how many teams there are in the US compared to the population and then what that means in terms of how many million people that that team might have to put eyes on. It just it's it's just an irrelevant argument because we've spoken about this before, is that we probably have a glut of professional sporting teams. We have more professional sporting teams in this country per capita than I think anywhere else in the world. So the competition for eyeballs is is fiercer here than anywhere. Um given how many professional sporting leagues that we have um per capita. So that argument gets thrown out the door. So what's the benefit? Why do why does the AFL Im- impose this upon the broadcasters or do the broadcasters, uh, have they got agency in this? Well, you know, you're 100% right with the comparison of the US market. I mean, it's very tempting to do that. A lot of people always refer to, to America and say they do this or they do that. But you are 100% correct when you identify that they are very different markets. I mean, mm. there are 350 million people that live in the US. There is often, for, for example, in the NFL, one team to a major city. Mm. Here in, in the AFL, we've got nine teams in, in Melbourne. Melbourne, a exactly. city of four or five million, and another one just down the road. So, yeah, every eyeball does count. And it's why the AFL, you know, explore things like expansion, because as more and more um, teams, you know, from different sports and women's sport taking off and, and major events uh, continuing to, to um, flourish, we keep going back to the same supporters and asking them for more, uh, you know, watch us, buy memberships. We keep going to the same corporate sponsors and saying, sponsor us. And eventually there will be no more to give. I mean, that was fundamentally part of the NRL's argument by heading to California for points. They basically said Australian sport has saturated the Australian market. Why do they do it? I wouldn't be surprised if some... Pre- I think going forward, um, the broadcasters, and in this instance, Fox Footy, do want more ex- exclusivity over different markets. Um, and I think that they want situations where if there's a big game in Adelaide or Perth or Brisbane, they want to be the go-to. And they want it in a prime time slot. That's what the AFL did with the showdown. But Seven are not going to just say, see you later the Friday nights. They want it as well. Uh, so it might have been appeasing um, Fox footy. It might have been trialling something that they may have floated they want to do next year. I mean, the AFL often do this. We start seeing things emerge and behind the scenes they're floating an idea or testing the waters. So it could have been that. The ratings probably would have been lower for the showdown, for example, if it was an exclusive Fox footy game played in any other time slot. So they're saying if you put us on Friday night, it's a high demand time, uh, it'll, there'll be high demand for the product and we hope that'll lead to more viewers and, and even more subscriptions. When I think a lot of uh, footy purists would say that it's it's one of the best rivalries in the game, so it does deserve a prime time free-to-air time slot 
um, in any way that you you want to try and dissect it. So it's it, it's a fascinating insight. Hey, I'll get to the rolling fixture in just a minute, but the big conversation point this week's been uh, off the back of uh, Dusty Martin makes uh, an incredible return. I had the pleasure of calling that game. He kicked a couple of goals. It was beautiful moments at the MCG. The fans were absolutely loving it, both sides, actually. I saw a lot of Collingwood fans standing and applauding uh, as well in appreciation for him being back, the, the the greatest player of his generation, the best big-time player that the game's ever seen. I've been critical in the past about the lack of media, say, that he or, or Buddy Franklin does. Um, but Caroline Wilson saying that it was unreasonable and, and understandable that unreasonable to expect him to do it and, and understandable that he didn't speak to media um, straight after the game, given everything that he had been through. Um, what, in your expertise, Sam, what... Where do you sit on the idea and, and on the issue, firstly with Dustin Martin, but then overall in terms of what players need to give and and what media want and where's the balance? It's a tough one. The, the Dustin Martin issue is an issue that sports around the world grapple with. I mean, Naomi Osaka in last year's French Open basically said due to mental health reasons, she wasn't going to do any media. She was fined $15,000 and then threatened to be defaulted if she didn't, you know, fulfil her media commitments. It is compulsory for everybody competing in the Grand Slam event to do media. And I do think around the world, Australian rules football, the AFL lags behind other sports when it comes to media access. Um, Athletes from around the world, I think, seem to recognise their responsibility in promoting the game Mm. a little more than than perhaps what the AFL does. And, And perhaps it's because in some sports they've had to fight for media attention more than the AFL does. Mm. I mean, there are more accredited AFL reporters covering the game in Australia than there are accredited uh, political reporters following <laughs> American politics in Washington. It's I mean, very that's good how saturated it is. Very good stats. Um, so but, as a result but with of that, that, Sam, it would little... Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, with that, they've probably just become a little bit accustomed to the AFL being covered no matter what. And as a result, they pick and choose. Um, And I think that that's damaged the relationship uh, between AFL clubs and in particular their players and the media. Now, in terms of, you know, know, personal issues, grieving, uh, you know, uh, the loss of a father, mental health issues, I do think the media need to take all of those into consideration. So that's a grey area. But I do think overall... I do think overall that the um, that the media does need, you know, to have a little bit more access from the players. Yeah, and I, I think especially now that it has moved to the revenue share model where the, they get a percentage of whatever the game makes. So, you know, then it is incumbent on the players, given it is within their interest, to sell it as much as possible. Let's let's We're willing to give this if you're going to give us that. I mean, it's only in their best interest to sell the game as much as they can. Hey, Sam, we've run out of a bit of time, and it sounds like that you've got someone who needs your attention even more than us <laughs> in the background, my friend. We'll speak to you next week. Yes, that time of the night, uh, Sam, uh, it, uh, it goes on. But uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you, and, and I look forward to chatting again next week. Next week, we'll try and get to the bottom of this rolling fixture. We were promised best to perform teams in the best time slots. That's not happening, so that's some homework for you for next week, mate. We'll speak to you then. Looking forward to it. Uh, Enjoy, Sam. Speak soon.
Study sports, business, health, or building and construction. Apply now. Learn more. Do more at Homes Glen. Uh, always great to catch up with Sam Duncan, the, the course leader of the sports degree at Homes Glen. Upskill your career. Learn more. Do more at Homes Glen. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Final words before uh, we get to future stars. All thanks to Bravo Management. Pickers is going to be in. Uh, Cal Toomey is our special guest tonight, and then without bias, we'll take us up to nine o'clock. Our dedicated Lawn Bowls show before Simon Hill and the Global Game takes over. We might even go into Clubland and find out what uh, various individuals had to say at various uh, clubs over the course of the day. Sporting Capital, SEN. Yeah, it was definitely nicer playing alongside him when he's in this sort of form. So um, one thing I noticed my first day coming in is just how hard he works on his craft. Um, but additionally, like how, how much he tries to help out his teammates. So um, if he's doing extras, he's always trying to bring along whether it's myself or Walshy or Jack Carroll, another young guy, like he's invested in his teammates just as much as himself. And um, it's great to see him get the rewards on game day. And um, you know, it's probably a big reason why um, when the midfield's going well, we're all going well, because we're all looking out for each other. And that um, starts from the top with him. Oh, no, I heard it, heard it secondhand. I, I didn't see, see much of it, but people send a couple of things through and um, genuine carry-on from a lot of people, you know. You're going to tell your kids or wife to stop smiling if they have a bad day at work. Um, yeah, I'm always an optimistic, positive type of bloke and I'm going to come in as my authentic self and that's enjoying my time here and celebrating my teammates and um, whether that's in a win or a loss, you still get around your teammates, you celebrate them, uh, you try and enjoy this environment and, and bounce back out of it. Uh, a little bit of stuff from Clubland. Adam Chera speaking about Paddy Cripps from Carlton's Presser today and Essendon captain Dyson Heppel ahead of his 200th game this weekend speaking about uh, the criticism that was uh, levelled at the uh, Essendon Footy Club. Some of it from Nick Rewalt uh, in regards to players smiling after losses and that was his response to that. Um, the CEO of uh, the... North Melbourne Footy Club, Benamafio, has spoken to Sports Day today and he's given an update on uh, Sam Edmonds' story that Jason Horn francis the number one draft pick, has put his contract negotiations off and he's one of the only top 10 draft picks from last year that still hasn't extended. Uh, Benamafio uh, addressing that today. Well, I mean, I mean, the obvious answer to that is that's a question for Jason and, and his manager, Ben Williams, and, and his family, I guess. Um, all we can do is provide the best possible environment for Jason and for other recruits and for other players for that matter. Um, an environment where they're learning and growing and developing and enjoying <laughs> coming to work. And so that's the best we can do. And hopefully we have a bit of success along the way. And uh, we create a great camaraderie and a great bond between the players and with the coaching panel as well. So, ultimately, that, that's up to Jason. Um, it's not unusual. He's not the only. Um, first round pick that hasn't signed yet um, and like anyone he's you know he's got to make sure that he's had time to sit and think and he'll, he'll make his decision at, I guess at the end of the year. He also spoke about uh, John Ralph's story in regards to Dave Noble's apology after the round three uh, loss spray that he's apparently have given uh, the team after that loss and then came back a couple of days later and apologised is what Ben Amafio had to say. No no there was no there was no inkling that he was going to do it and Certainly no pressure from myself for him to do so. Mind you, having said that, I wasn't in the meeting um, where he gave the players a spray. But um, but no, I didn't have I didn't have any prior notice of that. No, but he told me immediately in the aftermath of the match. 
um, he was obviously um, really feeling it, and um, and you know, in, in his own in his own words, he he probably thinks that he went a tad hard, and it's not like he needed to apologise. Um, has he done that before? No, he hasn't. Um, hasn't hasn't needed to. Um, and I think I, I you know we heard uh, Jack Zeal talking this morning publicly about it, and he he felt Jack's view was that he didn't the coach didn't need to apologise. Had nothing to apologise for. Uh, so that was North Melbourne CEO Ben Amafio on Sports Day a little earlier. I want to leave you with this one. Hey, thanks to all the texts and calls that I didn't get to. There's some great stuff there. Uh, but just some newsy stuff. The Australian men's cricket schedule is out. So the test summer will be three tests against the West Indies and three, uh, two tests against the West Indies, three tests against South Africa. Feb and March, a test tour of India. October, November, the T20 World Cup in Australia. In November, hosting England for three one-day internationals. In October, hosting the West Indies in England for six T20s, three T20s in India in September. So there's a bit happening on the cricket schedule as well. Uh, we'll do uh, what are we doing next? Future stars up next. North Melbourne now with Horn Francis. Here he is, the young man, the gun. Goes to Hugo Hagen, who puts all his skill on display. Pick one at the NAB AFL draft. On the sporting capital, welcome to Future Stars. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome to Future Stars, where we shine a light on the players that are trying to get themselves ready for the draft. In the process, we help you get ready for the draft. We're going to teach you more about who these players are. We're going to teach you more about what the recruiters look for, the managers, like the good man sitting across from me, Liam Pickering, and the whole process that goes into finding the diamonds in the rough, the next crop of stars for the AFL. Uh, we do it all for Bravo Management. Liam Pickering, hello, mate. Hello, Sammy, and hello to everybody having a listen this evening. It's uh, yeah, big weekend of footy again. I mean, the kids have gone back from, the young ones have now gone back from NAB League for a few weeks. There's the odd smattering of games coming up, but Majority of them are back playing school footy, uh, but there was a Young Guns game on the weekend uh, up against the Metro team at Werribee. Uh, AFL.com's Cal Toomey is going to join us. Now, he is the, the foremost authority from the AFL media ranks on uh, all of these players that are coming through the under-18 ranks and, and Sandful and, and Waffle. So he is right across it all. Looking forward to having a chat to calculating Cal Toomey. Just, we, we spoke about this last week, about the decision now with the restructure of the NAB League to have this hiatus. We spoke about how strong that the waffle and the sample has been with their development pathway. Where do you sit on the hiatus? Oh, I think it's ridiculous, yeah. my personal view. I mean, I just don't understand why these young players have missed so much football for two years that you know, unless you're at a private school, you're going away from a traditional strong program, which the NAB League is, mm. you're weakening that program as it is going forward because there's going to be a lot of players unavailable because of school football duties, you know, duties, I should say. But why have a break? Why have three or four-week break or whatever it may be? So to me, it doesn't make any sense. We want to be showcasing these kids all the time. What about for the, for the country? So for like the Rebels and the Pioneers and the Bush Rangers – they would all go back, and, and if you were giving advice, is their best bet to play under-18s footy? Is it best to go and try and play senior footy against men? Are. Is it, well, it depends where they it's are. It's a big gamble, yeah. isn't it, to put, send them out into the unknown with no real measure of or, or control over what happens to them. Yeah, look, there are a number of the uh, private schools in Melbourne that have got these these young blokes on scholarships, yep. so they'll continue to play at that level, you yep. know, AP, uh, APS or AGS or whatever it may be. Um, but there are a lot of them that will just go back and play local footy. You know, there'll be kids that'll go back and play for Sunbury. There'll be kids yep. that'll go back and play for Stall, as an example. So, 
Yeah, senior footy is always, in my view, it's always a good thing. If you're an 18-year-old mm. kid and there's an opportunity to play some senior footy and play against men, uh, I think that's a really, you know, I think that's a bonus in your football. I think that really helps toughen you up. Um, with the interstate, you know, obviously the interstate players, the South Australians and the West Australians, they're just playing on. Yeah, they're not having a break. On. They're playing in their cults or they're yep. playing in their senior level at, if they're going well. So there are a number of these players this year's drafts that's coming up that are playing senior footy in South Australia. So I'm sure there are benefits to the to the in in, in a country football term, but it, it it's hard to find the benefits for the progression of these young players. It'd be good to bring in now our special guest uh, into this conversation and into the mix, and we'll dig a little bit deeper on his role and uh, and players that he's keeping an eye on leading into the draft throughout this year. Cal Toomey, AFL.com.au. Hello, mate. Hello, Sam. Hello, Pickers. Good to have you on. Um... Oh, mate, Kel, uh, it's an interesting time. I'd like to know what your take is on this. We had this hiatus last year for a month, and COVID just absolutely decimated the last two seasons in Victoria. But given that we've got a full run at it this year, I don't personally see the understand. I don't understand why we're having a, a break now um, and going back to local footy. Yeah, it's it's a it's a a little bit different as a schedule, isn't it? And you'd have to say that the feedback from clubs has probably been more that they'd like to see the players keep on keeping on at the same level in the NAB League. And, and certainly, as you said, because I think I just heard you talking about the different competitions around Australia that have just pressed on throughout. So it's a little bit of a different structure this year. We'll see the under-18 championships a bit deeper into the season in July. So that should allow the players to at least pick up a, a form line after they get back and, and get a fair lead into that. So there is a little bit of time up the sleeve now, but I think, you know, speaking to the players and the prospects out there, there's no doubt they want a bit of continuity because this year's draft pick, is, as you know, is basically the most unseen draft yeah. class we've probably ever seen, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, they, they missed out their under-16s year in 2020. Uh, as we know, the COVID wipeout. And last year, most of them, particularly obviously in Victoria, barely played. There was a game or two here and there, but we didn't really get much of a look at them. And you speak to recruiters around how that affects uh, the the standing of a draft crop. And there's different developmental sort of targets that are reached in the 16th and 17th year that we just haven't been able to be across. So uh, the more footy, the better. And certainly uh, the players are pretty ready for it. So I think they'll be pretty ready by the time that this little recess ends. Last weekend, there was a Young Guns game, so, uh, yeah, which was the Young Guns, which are the overage kids. You can explain this probably better than I can to the listening audience, but the Young Guns versus Metro, and this week we've got the Young Guns versus, which I assume isn't the exact same players running around, up against the country team. Yeah, that's right. And Young Guns has been in the past maybe some under-23s. This year it was probably more the 19 and 20-year-olds who've missed out on the draft over the past couple of years coming up against Vic Metro's under-18 side. It was a, a stripped back the Metro under-18 side. A fair few players obviously playing at school level now in Victoria, so weren't eligible to play or weren't available to play in that game. But the Young Guns game was basically a, a primer for the mid-season draft next month, which happens on June 1, at, uh, at Wednesday, June 1, which will see uh, a selection of players taken at the mid-season draft. And this was a game that basically showed the clubs some of the talents available in that. And there were some standouts across that game. And uh, Jai Cully was the main one there, figures who um, really put his name forward as a potential early pick. 22 touches, four goals in a performance mm. that established him as a real talent in this year's group for the mid-season draft. And 193 centimetres as a midfielder who kicks goals. 
it ticks a few boxes and he's got a fair few clubs looking at him. So he's certainly one that will be in that mix. Uh, uh, Max Ramsden as well has had a great start to the season as a 202-centimetre ruckman. Who I know you know well, Liam. Um, 16 disposals and 13 hitouts. He's a player who last year nominated for the, the national draft, didn't get taken, but that makes him eligible for the mid-season draft. And he's the Jacob Edwards story of 2022. Now, the clubs have all been across him really early in this year's draft season. He played for the Sandrown Dragons in round one against the Oakley Chargers, had a bit of the ball there. He's the greatest quality. You can probably fill us in a little bit more figures. He's able to get around the ground, isn't he? He can run a two-kilometer time trial in six minutes and four seconds. Now, that's beating Matt Rowell time. So <laughs> he's a, guy who, a big guy who can move, and he can find the footy around the ground as well. So those are two names who played in the Young Guns on the weekend who are certainly... Well, I think they're the mid-season certainties uh, heading into the draft in about a month's time. So just tell us a little bit more about... I know a fair bit about Maxie Ramson, of course. As you know, his uncle was a... You know, I mentioned him last week because he's with us, but he was uh, his uncle was a legend of the, of the amateurs here in Victoria, and and he is a really mobile, as you said, you know, and that's what's attracting at the moment, the fact that he's, he's really raw, but he's also a great athlete, and he's 202, 203 centimetres. So that's a big tick. Tell us about this Cully. You know, for people, why why wasn't he drafted? You, you say, oh, he's, okay, he was overlooked last year. He's kicked four as a 193-centimetre midfielder. Tell us what happened last year. Well, he just wasn't too far on the radar. Like, he nominated for the draft, but I don't think he really ever captured the attention of clubs and recruiters that wanted to probably see a little bit more of him at the NAB League level. But mm. as we know, they just didn't play too much NAB League. So this is where the system can spit out a few good players the year after. And maybe that... That's the, maybe the one of the very, very few silver linings of the COVID sort of interruptions last year is the guys who weren't quite ready last year have had another summer to prepare, have had another summer to build on their game, had another pre-season to make sure that their deficiencies last year. And there was maybe a, a, a little bit of a knock on his, I don't know, his running and, and sort of getting around the ground. As, as, and, and there's always that question when you're 193 centimetres, what are you? Are you a tall forward who's not quite tall enough in the next level? Are you a midfielder who's a little bit taller than usual? So clubs are still getting their heads around that. Now, they've overlooked him last year, given him another chance this year at the Dandenong Stingrays program in the NAB League, and he's been far too good at that level across this year. Then he goes and plays another game uh, for the Young Guns and dominates. So I know a lot of recruiters left uh, Werribee last Saturday talking about Jai Kelly and, and locking him in as a mid-season pick-up. And, that's a, that's a good performance. I mean, this is what the mid-season draft is there for in a lot of ways, these guys to, to come in and, and for someone to find some gold. So he's been a, a star across the start of the NAB League season and he, he will deserve his shot if he gets it. The the Young Guns game, which really came into fashion, I reckon, five years ago. It was back into the year for the national draft, I reckon. For memory, I'm just going back. I remember a game at Port Melbourne. Tell us some of the, of the success stories. I reckon Tom Papley was in one of these where he'd been overlooked wasn't on any radars and all of a sudden played in that game and away he went. Yeah, he's, I mean, Tom Papley in himself is a great story, isn't he? As an overager who got missed out on his original draft, he came back as a, an overager for the Gippsland Power and uh, dominated uh, at Tac Cup level or NAB League level and then went on to be a rookie pick for the Swans and I think a year later was playing in a grand final. We know the story since then. Even one of um, you know guys who obviously you have got a close relationship with in the Dunkley family, Cole Dunkley, you know it was his performance in a Young Guns game, you know several years ago that probably put him on the map finally for that that mid-season draft spot a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Because mm-hmm. um, before Melbourne took him, uh, and obviously he went on to play some good games um, at AFL level. 
that year. So it is a, a viable and, and valuable um, option for clubs to look at these guys as a group because recruiting departments are so stretched at the moment and they've obviously felt the cuts of the 2020 soft cap cut where you know recruiting teams are down to often two or three people um, in terms of their recruiting network and then a list manager alongside that as well. So to get these guys all in one spot as mature ages and, and give them a, a good vehicle to play together, uh, I think is a, a system that works. And this weekend, as you say, we'll, we'll see another game as well and, and hopefully get some more insight into the potential mid-season pickups. We're speaking to AFL.com's Cal Toomey on Future Stars for Bravo Management. Cal, just with your role, uh, I'd imagine there's a lot of Ks clocked up uh, on whatever automobile you're driving, a lot like a recruiter, because you have got a, such an important role when it comes to helping people, fans of clubs, uh, followers of the game. You're, you're almost the person that introduces these guys to them in, in what you write and what you report on. So I think there'd be a lot of people that'd be fascinated to, to understand how you execute that. Um, and, and how you do your job in finding out about these guys, who to cover, where to go, um, how do you find them, all of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a part of the job I love, getting to, to know the next draft crop coming up. And, and as you say, Sam, um, introducing the names to the footy public, there's always... And the thing about the draft that I love most, I think, from my perspective, is there's always a set of new stories. And every kid who gets drafted, every player who gets drafted, has come from somewhere with some story that hasn't been told yet. And that's the exciting part about covering the draft, that you never know who's going to pop up at a game you go to. It could be someone who absolutely blows the lights out and you think, gee, this is going to be a superstar for the next 10 years. Or it could be someone who, you know, I remember speaking of Tom Papley because I remember being at um, Optus Oval or Busy Park or Icon Park, whatever it was called then, <laughs> and he had a shot after the siren to... to win the game for Gippsland Power and he only needed to score and he kicked it out on the full and they lost. So, so it, it just little moments like that pop up into your mind and, and, and stick with you. And um, yeah, in terms of my role at the start of the year, I try and get to as many NAB League games as I can, particularly given the season as it's structured, as we were speaking before. All the players are together for the first month or so before school footy breaks them up. So um, trying to be as cross as many of those guys coming through as I can and then in the last couple of weeks, I've been going to a few more school games to have a closer eye on, on some of the really top-end players and get as much information on them as I can and obviously get a, a, a really good steer from recruiters as well and the type of games I should be going to and the players should be keeping an eye out for. And We'll travel around a little bit more the country uh, when the championships roll around in July to get a better insight into SA and WA and the other states. But obviously, uh, there's... That has been an improvement via the, the COVID situation. The actual live streaming of games makes it possible and, and plausible for anyone who's got an interest in the draft to, to keep an eye on these players. But I do um, really enjoy sort of introducing the next group of players every year. And it's funny watching them a year on. And this time last year, you know, we we're writing stories about Joshua Shelley and, he, and his goal celebrations and how he wanted to be a forward pocket for the Stars. And, and he liked the Blues and he'd been training at Carlton and he'd been all this type of thing. And then a year on, he's doing everything he said he'd do and, and more. So it's always fun to look back and, and get a glimpse of what they were and what they become. We talked about the, the mid-year draft and it's not far away. Like, I mean, we've only got a, what, less than three weeks. Mm. So before that draft's on, um, at the moment, there's five teams that have got picks. I mean, what are you hearing? I, I'm hearing that there'll be a lot more come uh, come June, June the 1st. At the moment, it's Carlton, Fremantle, Geelong, Hawthorne and Sydney have got a pick each. 
What are you hearing? Yeah, those ones who locked in, I'm like you. I'm hearing there'll be a few more. Gold Coast can open a position for Ben King. The only way to open positions is to have a player either retire, like uh, they had at Richmond last week with Josh Caddy. So that yeah. opened up a position for them in the mid-season draft. And, of course, the Tigers did that famously a couple of years ago when they opened up a position in 2019 when Sean Grigg retired and Marlon Pickett came on board and played the flag four months later. So that's probably the ultimate mid-season draft story. There'll be some other clubs as well that open up picks. So St Kilda have the option of two spots with Nick Caulfield and Jack Hayes uh, going on the long-term injury list. So they can do that with their list. Adelaide can open up a spot for Rory Sloan. They might also open up one for Paul Seedsman as well. There's obviously doubt on when he can come back from his ongoing concussion issues. Uh, Collingwood will have a spot, at least one spot available, given Nathan Kruger's going to miss uh, the rest of the year with his shoulder injury. And you'd expect over the next three rounds as well that some more picks will open up and, and create some more movement in the mid-season space. So at the moment, there's there's the five spots that are locked in for the mid-season draft and then probably six or seven that are in play, which gets us to you know 11 or 12 spots. And you'd suggest that over the next three weeks, we might also see another handful of spots open up. Last year, was one out of the box. There was 22 players selected in the mid-year draft. Seven of those were Ruckman. Uh, was a, that was a bit of a COVID fallout there because we know so many players didn't play in 2020. So they probably would have been taken had they actually been out there on the park. They were sight unseen. So they got through to mid-season draft the following year. And that was probably a bit of a, a boom in selections there. I don't think we'll get to 22 this year, but we might get a couple more than the original year a couple of years ago when it was re-established. I think there was 13 or 14 in, in that season in 2019. So... Yeah, it's, uh, I'm hoping for a couple more because we obviously love the names popping up and the more the better to talk about and, and clubs to re-energise their list. We, it's always, because what we can almost write how the, the story flow will go, Cal, is that you have the mid-season draft and then the players will be selected and then how the clubs use them will then be scrutinised within an inch of its life and then the question will come, well, are they topping up a list or are they just getting an extra draft are pick? They so are they stockpiling? Are they stockpiling for next year? I don't have a problem with either. Um, how, Given that you're able to straddle both sides of the world, you've got the connections to the, the under-18s and the state levels and you report on AFL as well, What what's your impression of how the mid-season draft is actually used and do you have an issue with it either way depending on how clubs go about it? It's funny you talk about that. It will be interesting to see if, if there's any changes, you know, going forward around um, warehousing of players, so that the, the 19-year-olds, you know, the taller types, the Jacob Edwards or the the Ned Moyles or this year the Max Ramsden types, if if there's any issue with the warehousing of players versus the immediate help of players, whereas that's the the mature age Ruckman or the Marlon Pickett, even the John Newcomb last year, a lot of controversy around the John Newcomb selection, but. All in all, he was a player who was ready to go out of the VFL. Mm. Now, not everyone's going to be like that. So whether there's some... I mean, some clubs would say it should just be for players who are 22 plus and the players who are 19 and 20 who've just missed out on a draft or two can go back in the end-of-year national draft or rookie draft and be selected then. And, and you keep the mid-season draft for, you know... You know your SOS pick, I guess. You know, if you're really missing out on a ruckman or a small forward, if there's some central piece to your to your list that you need a little bit of help with right there and then that you can help for an immediate injection of help, or do you keep it as an extra reward for the teams who are ordinary. You know, North Melbourne last year that was 
that was a benefit of being on the bottom of the ladder. It was a, it was a dual hit, wasn't it? You not only get the end of your number one pick in Jason Horn Francis, you pick up Jacob Edwards, who would have been a top 15 pick or so come the end of the, the year draft. So I see it both sides, and, and I don't mind it being remained at ease, but I also see that it would be okay if it was more a mature age draft and you kept you kept your young talent for the end of the year as well because they're going to pick up a, a chance then too. And that's where you don't want to see too many situations where Cody Hurst, for instance, yeah, uh, a young Swans, Swans player yeah. from 2019 who he got drafted mid-year and unfortunately didn't sort of make the grade really quickly and then he was out of the system, you know, four or five months later without another opportunity. So would that have been different if he'd been taken on a two-year deal in the national draft later in the year? That's something that clubs and, and managers and players themselves will always have to weigh up. Uh, it's fascinating insight, Cal, and we really appreciate you jumping on to provide it to us uh, on Future Stars. Thanks to Bravo Management. Um, we will speak to you again throughout the course of the year as we keep trying to shine a light on the process and just how in-depth it is getting these young players ready to roll and into the system. Mate, we'll speak to you soon. Anytime, Sam. See you, Figures. Thanks, Cal. Cal Toomey, afl.com.au on Future Stars uh, for Bravo Management Picks. Just wanted to talk about that just for people that are thinking, oh, what is mid-season draft? What's it all about? Well, basically, mm. it's a rookie contract. You're talking the middle of the year. You're going to have a situation where someone calls your name out, you've got to automatically get paid $50,000. Normally, they will extend if it's a younger sort of player, like a developing type player. Uh, yeah, you'd extend by another year and you'd have another year at the, at the rookie money. If you do get tipped out at the end of the year, then the clubs have to pay another twenty grand on top of that. So basically, if you're calling out Sam Hargraves from Bendigo Reserves, you put him on your list, you <laughs> get paid, you'll get a minimum fifty grand, and when we wrestle you at the end of the year, you're going to get another <laughs> twenty. So it's seventy grand. It's better than doing nightly radio. Uh, this has been brilliant. Another fantastic edition of uh, Future Stars for Bravo Management Pickers. We'll speak to you again next week. Good on you, Sammy. And we'll speak to you again next week on Future Stars. Welcome to Without Bias. Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees. Call 135050. Get set, go. Local legends want it. A bowls green is just up the road. Search bowls club near me. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. A very good evening. Welcome to Without Bias, our dedicated lawn bowls show, where we delve into the wonderful world of lawn bowls. Uh, part of the sporting capital on SEN. We do it all for Apia, proudly supporting Bowls Australia. And don't forget, local legends are wanted. Search Bowls Clubs near me. Uh, great show to come your way tonight. A little later on, we will have a chat to one of the rising stars of the Lawn Bowls world, Kate Argent-Bowden, uh, who is an emerging jackaroo, was a bronze medalist in the women's singles at the recent Oz Champs. We'll have a chat to her very soon. Uh, some good results coming through for the jackaroos at the multi-nations, and so to our Paris Sport Jackaroos and of course the Commonwealth Games camp happening over in the UK as well. So plenty happening in the world of lawn bowls. We spoke a little bit last week about the Oz Championships uh, and it's great to have our very first guest up, first cab off the rank. Uh, He got gold along with his lovely fiancée Kelly in the mixed pairs at Victoria, for Victoria at Broadbeach and the Australian Champs a fortnight ago. It's a pleasure to have Ali Forsyth with us uh, to open things up on Without Buyers. Ali, hello, mate. G'day, buddy. How are you going? Really well. Congrats. Um, what a special what a special moment that must have been, not just for you as a bowler, but to be doing it with a fiancé. Um, that, that could only have been one of the, I suppose, career and life highlights. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, yeah, one of those things that was which is really great about our sport, you know, the ability to play with, you know, um, family members and partners and so on. So, 
yeah, really, uh, really special day, and and one that you know, is very, very close to the top of the tree for uh, for my results over over the time on the green. Do you fall into the camp that being able to do that uh, with your better half it only makes your relationship better, or does it, or is it? Do you find it a little bit difficult, given you know, because you might be a different person when you're bowling than you are um, in just your day to day life? How does that dynamic work, and does it does it make things better? Does it make things more difficult? What's the experience? Oh. oh. I'm not sure it makes it better. I think I, I think we certainly try and manage how much we play together, just so that there's not too much grief <laughs> getting getting sent one way or the other. But yep. oh, and no, look, we, we certainly get on on well on the green. Uh, we read the game pretty similar, and and because we don't play together a whole lot, it's sort of you know, we do enjoy the opportunity when we do. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things. I I can see how some people do um, probably shy away from it. But um, no, we, we enjoy it, and look, it's only once or twice a year that we actually, you know, we, we tend to not play in the same rink when it comes to pennant and things like that. So, um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's not really a problem. I just do what I was told. <laughs> Given that you are the two people that know each other better than anyone in the world, Ali, I'd imagine in terms of being able to communicate and communicate quickly, clearly, um, that would be a benefit when it is the person that, who knows your little peccadillos and idiosyncrasies and can read you better than anyone else can. I'd imagine that's where the advantage can lie, playing together. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said, we, we know each other's games really well, but also, you know, like if one of us is struggling, the other one generally knows what to say to try and just help, mm. you know, pep, pep you know, the other one up and just try and get us back on track sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it's a, absolutely a big advantage. On the day itself, torrential rain for portions of it. How did you guys adapt to those changing conditions that were presenting at Broadbeach? Yeah, well, we were we hit the jackpot there because we uh, we actually had a buy in the morning round where it actually did all of the rain. Um, so when we arrived at eleven o'clock, poor old um, Queensland playing Tassie, uh, not Tassie, sorry, Queensland playing WA were were both drenched and. We come along and, and just swept up the pieces because it never rained at all in the afternoon or evening. So, yeah, we dodged a good bullet there. What did you? What does it mean to, to both of you? A, a national championship, a gold medal. What does it mean to both of you? Oh, look, I mean, you know, it's 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 a massive result. You know, look, you put a lot of time and effort, you know, throughout the season, um, you know, to work towards these things. At the end of the day, you know, you want to be playing in big games that you know, uh, uh, potentially winning national or international titles. So, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't enter the event if you weren't, you know, having aspirations of of walking away with a with a national title, whether it but you know, for me being a New Zealand in New Zealand or Australia that they're, they're all really special because they're so bloody hard to win. Um and the fact that you get to do it with, you know, your partner it makes it even more special. Ali Forsyth, our first up guest on tonight's edition of Without Bias, Local Legends Wanted, search bowls clubs near me, and proudly brought to you by APR, proudly supporting Bowls Australia. Busy year for you, Ali. You've returned uh, on the green. You've returned to the BPL with the Melbourne Extreme. How did you find the event in Moama? And and there's one uh, coming up uh, at the end of the month as well. So it's all happening from a BPL point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, fantastic to get back involved uh, very, very appreciative of the phone call that I got from from uh, Lloyd Acarino at um, at Sunbury, and you know they're they're absolutely great club with uh, with great aspirations. So yeah, certainly jumped at the opportunity to get back involved. I, you know, it's probably been four or five years since I, since I played in the in the EPL, and I'd probably forgotten how how much it sort of took out of you. Oh, they're big days, and it's a, it's a big week, but it's a really really enjoyable format, one that 
you know, it does suit my style of play. You know, it's a really attacking, aggressive format that, um, you know, is, you know, when you've got to play well in, in that sort of uh, environment because it's just every team's a quality team and, and, and the format is a little bit brutal because it's so short. So, you know, you've got to keep going and, and you know, really attacking and, and striking while the iron's hot sort of thing because the, the worm can turn really quickly and, you know, we, we really had some had some tough times there with tiebreakers. Um but that didn't take away from the fact that we thought that we played pretty well for the most part, and, and we learnt a lot about you know new combinations. You know, it'd been nearly ten years since I'd played with Maddie, and I hadn't played with Carla at all. So um, we certainly learned a lot. Um, I certainly think Kelvin, you know, learned a lot as as our coach, and I think we'll be far better for it when we go up to Pine Rivers next or the end of the month. It was a pretty difficult campaign, uh, but obviously you're a close-knit unit. The club's Sunbury yep. fraternity were loud and proud when you're in Mo- Moama. It must, you must have loved seeing just how strongly the club Sunbury team got behind uh, the Melbourne Extreme outfit. Yeah, very much so. Like, uh, love love playing in, in front of, a, you know, a supportive crew. Um, you know, they've certainly made, you know, me and I'm sure Maddie and, and Carla Vincent are extremely welcome um, and yeah, look, yes, it was tough, but you know, we, we look back on a few stats and I think we won as many ends as any other side. So I think we just need to tinker a few things and, and work out, right, oh, we potentially just need to win the ends closer to the to the end of the set and you know, obviously a few, more tie, uh, a few more power plays and uh, I think we'll be uh, really hard to beat. So you've got uh, the next BPL coming up at Pine Rivers at the end of the month. Um, obviously yep. you'd be really looking forward to it. What... What do you take out of Moama that you then bring in to Pine Rivers looking to, to take a, another step forward in, in what is just an incredibly exciting format and one that has been truly embraced in the bowls community and brought a whole lot of new eyes and, um, and new people to the sport? Oh, I think, you know, look, what we, what we take away from it is, you know, it was just the small little, little things that were probably making the difference between a win and a loss. So I think, you know, trusting that for a large part what we did was okay um, and just, you know, just improving those little one and two percenters. As I said, like the combination side of things, uh, we've probably got a far better idea um, on and how we want to run our program um, for um, Pine Rivers. So, yeah, I think, you know, with also the fact that everyone would have a few more bowls under their belt will be really dangerous. Ali, are you a, are you a bowls-obsessed Person, are you, you know, are you uh, on the Bowls Australia website uh, as often as you can be? You're reading the uh, results going on at the moment at the multinationals. Are you keeping up to speed on how the the Jackaroos, a lot of those guys you know well, uh, and how they're going in camp, getting prepared for Birmingham? How how much is is it a live and breathe thing for you? Oh, look, not at the moment I, because my role at Clayton is you know nearly a full time role. Um, certainly through the bowl season down here, it's sort of, you know, it's really engrossing and and it takes up you know so much of your time mentally, mentally and physically that you know when you get to a part of an off season, it's really nice to have a bit of a break. So I try not to get too obsessed with with what's happening. Certainly with um, external things that really I have no control of, or you know, I won't say no interest because there is an interest there. You know, you're certainly seeing. I've seen a few photos and a few video clips of how the green's running, and that's probably about as much as my uh, my focus has sort of been taken. I don't get too much on the old Facebook or any of that sort of stuff, so 
yeah, sort of just try and steer clear for, for, for the most part. And, and what about from your, your country of origin, mate? You've represented New Zealand with pride on, on many an occasion. You've you've won uh, a world singles champion of champions uh, in 2004. You've you've been to uh, outdoor championships with New Zealand. You've you've had gold medals there. You've gone Asia Pacific uh, bowls championships. You've got gold medals there with New Zealand. Do you do, do you still have the itch? that you need to scratch from a, a an international competition perspective? Yeah, very much so. You know, look, uh, the Commonwealth Games is probably the one major glaring um, emptiness out of, you know, my CV. So that's certainly certainly uh, one that I'm keen to rectify. And uh, we had our last trial for the Commonwealth Games back at the, the end of February, early March. So we're just sort of waiting for the team to get officially announced. Uh, it should be in the next week or two. So... Yeah, nervous but exciting times ahead. Hopefully that I can, you know, poke my name, poke my nose back into that side, and you know, get over to Birmingham and give it death. Well, that'd be mad not to have you, Ali. Uh, it, it, they might as well write off any medal chance right now if they don't include you in that squad. We've got our fingers and toes crossed for you, mate, and all you can do is perform as, as well as possible, and, and getting that national championship uh, is just a, a great step in that direction to make sure that those selectors are taking notice. Always great to chat to you. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much, and uh, all the very best. Uh, national champion, uh, Ali Forsyth. Um, just Google the name and you'll see uh, all that he has accomplished in the world of lawn bowls. Incredibly impressive. And to get uh, that title uh, with your fiance is pretty special as well. He and Kelly doing it uh, in brilliant style at Broadbeach a couple of weeks ago in the Oz Championships. This is Without Bias, Local Legends Wanted, Search Bowls Clubs near me. And for Apia, proudly supporting Bowls Australia. Uh, we're going to have a chat uh, to emerging Jackaroo uh, on the other side of this. Kate Argent-Bowden, uh, women's singles champ, uh, bronze medal at the Oz Championships as well. We'll do that for the right care right at home after this on Without Bias. This is Without Bias. Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees. Call 13 50 50. Get set, go. Local legends wanted. A bowls green is just up the road. Search bowls club near me. Time for our weekly Jackaroos chat. It's all thanks to Ride at Home, the official naming rights partner of the Australian Jackaroos. This week, we're absolutely wrapped to be speaking to emerging Jackaroo, bronze medalist in the women's singles at the Oz Champs a couple of weeks ago. Kate Arjun Bowden has been good enough to jump on the line. Kate, hello to you. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, absolute pre- uh, pleasure. Hey, congrats, congratulations on the bronze medal at the Oz Champs in the singles a couple of weeks back, 17 years of age. Um, that's an incredibly impressive achievement. How is it sitting with you a couple of weeks on? You know, it's, um, it's really awesome to think about. Unfortunately for me, I don't have a lot of um, free time on my hands, so I haven't even fully been able to like process like how really good it is I guess but no it's just an awesome feeling and I was really happy with obviously the achievement what's um what stands out to you a couple of weeks after that um you're holding on to what about it meant the most to you I think it was more so just the fact that um after my first game I could definitely just like bounce back and keep myself alive for medal um contention I think that was something I was really happy with um, and like regardless of getting a medal or not, I was obviously happy to be up there playing against some really high level players. But um, yeah, I think just keeping myself in medal contention was one of the best things for me. 
It's been a pretty unbelievable 12 months for you, Kate. South Australian titles, the under-18 Australian Open title, and also being awarded the under-18 Female Bowler of the Year at Bowls Australia's award night. Do you have to pinch yourself, uh, given all you've achieved so far in the early stages of your bowls career? Certainly, certainly I do. Um, sometimes it all just it all just sort of melts into one. I don't even realise how many things that have really been going on because it's just all um, hectic. But no, I'm very grateful to be, I guess, given the opportunities that I've been given and also um, very grateful for all the different awards and like recognition and things that I've got as well. It's really, it's really cool. You had a pretty tough first up match uh, against uh, Bolivia Millerick and you were able to rebound after that, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you taking on fellow Jackaroos, uh, Christina and Sarah, that's Christic and James. You storm into that bronze medal contention. What's the process that goes into getting over that that hurdle, that, that first round loss and putting that behind you and doing what you need to do to, to, to get a podium finish? I think for me, it's just, obviously, I didn't I didn't play terribly, but I wasn't overly happy with how I played. But I sort of felt as though there wasn't really much I could do once it was done. So I just needed to sort of pick my head up and um, I guess sort of try and forget about it and move on from it and just try and play the best um, that I could after that first round and try and get back on my feet more so. You're known for being a pretty relaxed customer on the green, um, cool, calm, collected, uh, collective. <clears throat> what what goes into that? Is that just your natural personality, or do you do you work hard at keeping a pretty even keel on the green? Um, I think in general I'm a reasonably relaxed person, um, but definitely like at high um, pressure times and the um, during a game or something. I certainly do feel it. I probably don't show it as much as what I feel, but I just try and stay really relaxed and, I don't know, keep like a really down-to-earth vibe because otherwise I'll get in my own head and not play that well. (laughs) Uh, We're speaking to Kate Argent-Bowden on Without Bias. She's an emerging jackaroo. Speaking of the emerging jackaroos, Kate, uh, what are some of the important lessons you've you've learnt and and, and what's the emerging jackaroo program done for you? Um. I think for me, it just sort of taught me a lot um, about what it takes to really be at that high um, level playing field and what it takes to sort of be in that Jackaroo squad. And obviously, you meet a lot of um, really amazing people and really amazing bowlers. And it's just sort of, I don't know, just being like surrounded by people that um, are in the Jackaroo squad or in the emerging Jackaroo squad and the pathways as well. Um, It's good to sort of be surrounded by people that, are sharing similar, I guess, um, interests as what you are obviously trying to make it to that Jackaroo squad. <clears throat> hey, tell us a bit about the Anguston Bowling Club uh, in South Australia. Um, they seem to be a pretty pivotal part of your life. Uh, what can you tell us uh, about that particular place and that particular club and what it means to you? Um, the people there mean such a great deal to me. I have absolutely grown up there since I was a kid um so pretty much everyone there is like a second family member to me and we all just get along super super well we have so many good laughs which is one of which is something that I really love to do I love having a laugh with um friends so they're always really supportive and um just help put a smile on my face which I really love 
Are they how how um, wholeheartedly do they embrace your success on the national stage? Oh, they get around me a lot. We have a chat um, <clears throat> that we all get on, and someone will like share that I'm on a live stream or something, and everyone will get around me, which is super nice. And I just appreciate all the support that um, I get from there because if it wasn't for most of the people there, I probably still wouldn't even be playing bowls. You're in year twelve at the moment, Kate. Um, you, you you work. Um, you've got priorities that you're constantly juggling and, and jostling. How do you manage it all? Oh, I struggle most of the time. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally at school right now. I'm in one of my study classes that I've just left. Um, but no, I think I'm balancing it out a bit better this year because I'm not playing netball. I'm still playing a bit of footy. Um, Work is starting to die down, thankfully, after Mother's Day and Easter and all, all of that. Um, but, yeah, Year 12 has certainly been a bit of a battle with everything that I'm doing so far. But I'm pushing through, and once I get through this year, I'm sure I will be fine. So what about long-term goals in, in lawn bowls, Kate? I mean, you, you'd know that at the moment um, the, the senior jackaroos are, are all either competing in multi-nations or um, at the uh, at the Com Games camp over in the UK, um, is that where you want your bowls to take you? Are you looking to achieve as as much as is humanly possible? Is it Com Games? Where's the ceiling for you? I definitely think Com Games would be like top tier inspiration or where I would love to get to. Obviously, just I'll just be taking things, I guess, year by year, month by month or whatever. But, um, yeah, that's certainly, like, I would say the biggest goal and, like, aspirations is to get to the con games. How did you get into lawn bowls? So one of the things that's fascinating to me and people are always fascinated to hear is that the average age of the Australian cricket team is actually older than the uh, the Australian Jackaroo squad. So people are getting into bowls younger and younger. How did you get into lawn bowls? Um, so my mum and dad and both my grandparents they all play at Angerston and pretty much every Saturday I was just down the club as like a toddler just running around climbing trees and whatnot and then when I got a bit older I ended up going to friend's house all the time and then I was like look maybe I'll just give this a go instead of bothering my friends and now I never stopped and now we're here. <laughs> I love it. Hey, it's been great to chat to you, Kate. I'm going to finish up every chat that we do with our Jackaroos interviews. Thanks at Right at Home, the official naming rights partner of the Australian Jackaroos, the Right Care Right at Home. I'm just going to ask you a very simple question to finish up with. If you've got your choice, is it forehand or backhand? Backhand. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Backhand. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. Good luck with everything that's to come. You've achieved so much already in the early stages of your career and, and the sky's the limit for, for what happens now. So all the best with it. Good luck with Year 12, and we'll speak to you again soon. All right, beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, pleasure is all ours. Kate Argent-Bowden, uh, emerging jackaroo and bronze medalist in women's singles at the Australian Champs a couple of weeks ago. That's a name to just to write down and, and keep an eye on. Uh, big things to come. Hey, that's pretty much it from us uh, on Without Bias. Your local legends wanted. A bowls green is just up the road. Search bowls clubs near me, and we do it all for Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees. Called thirteen fifty fifty. Get set go. Another week in the books. Before we finish up, let's just get some of the results as I mentioned earlier. Multinationals are happening uh, at the moment. Uh, the right at home Australian Jackaroos and the Paris Sport Jackaroos 
capped off a solid multi-nation series. Strong performance on the final day of play on Sunday. Um, congratulations to Wayne Rudiger, who brought up his 200th appearance for the Jackaroos in the second session. The Aussie sides began to take an ascendancy there. Uh, Aussies lost just six of 18 matches after the first session, steadily becoming uh, more confident on the slow greens. That's going to be a big part of success, and that's why they're over there at the moment, to get used to those slower greens before the Com Games next year. Aaron Wilson, Corey Wedlock didn't miss a beat in the singles. Both players winning their two matches, and uh, the Australian Gold men's four side, skippered by Aaron Tees, also went two from two, while just one of the four women's triples matches uh, was dropped. So fantastic results to all the players uh, competing uh, for the Jackaroos, uh, and well done to all them. We'll keep uh, you up to speed on everything that's happening from a national point of view uh, each and every week on Without Bias, our dedicated lawn bowl show, part of the sporting capital on SEN. We'll see you all again next week. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.